0: Some of you might remember a commercial from oh it's many years ago now where a lady says that she is going to tell two friends or has told two friends about a certain kind of shampoo. And then the commercial goes on and it ends with her saying you are going to tell you will tell two friends and so on and so on. And as it ends it sort of shows this split screen of all the people that had now heard about this new shampoo or this champ this uh, this organic shampoo. But the idea was that when you were satisfied with a particular product, or when you are, you will spread the word. And uh, if you spread the word, then the next person will go uh, and just keep on going. Well, Christianity, although it's not a product to be sold, but, but that idea of telling people about Jesus and the multiplying effect of that kind of telling is very much a part of God's program for making himself known. See if this doesn't sound like that same concept behind that shampoo commercial. This is 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. And it's Paul um, writing in his letter to Timothy. He says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who who will be able to teach others also. If you look at that closely, there's four generations being passed down four times. If there was a split screen, they would show four different generations being taught the Word of God. They told two people, and so on, and so on. This is God's way of spreading the gospel. The world would call this multi-level marketing, or pyramid scheme, or something like that. As Christians, we call this discipleship, or disciple-making. We've been looking at the first part of the gospel of John. And in this first part of John, we see the first week of Jesus' public ministry, And we've been asking here for the first number of weeks of 2016 what we can learn from the things that Jesus prioritized during that first week. What kinds of things were important to him? And if it's important to our Lord, those are the kinds of things that should be important to us as those who claim to now follow Jesus. Well, starting at verse 35 of John chapter 1, You'll remember, if you were here last week, we see that Jesus starts to gather disciples around himself. He, he doesn't start his ministry by healing people. He doesn't start by doing miracles. He, he, he doesn't, as some say, why didn't he just do this? He doesn't just go straight over to the cross, which is the purpose for which he came. No, he finds the men that will be his closest followers. He'll minister and serve and and confront all kinds of people during these three years of his public ministry. But he especially wants to build into men and teach men who will then, um, who will be with him during that whole time, and who will then pass that on those words that he's been taught, those ancient words that we just sang about. And that's what was right at the top of his agenda. He starts off with Andrew and, and Peter, and, and even though he's unnamed. Uh, John is likely talking about himself in that first group. So Andrew, Peter, John. And starting at verse 43, two more disciples are added. So like that shampoo commercial, it starts with two friends who tell two other friends. So look with me at John 1, verse 43. We're in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, and we've seen how this is sort of consecutive days here at the beginning... Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. As far as the reading of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, and authoritative word. We learned from the last section that when it came to the men that Jesus wanted as his closest followers, Jesus was looking for people that were hungry for God. He was looking for people that, that made themselves available to him. Remember those first disciples wanted to stay with him that whole day? And then he was looking for people that were teachable. They called him rabbi. He, they wanted to be taught by him. Well, in this section, I want us to think more about Jesus as a, as a model and as an example for how we ought to make disciples. Jesus actually models disciple making for us in this section. Now you might think, yeah, but this was Jesus. Where, where does it ever say that we should make disciples? Well, if you go to Matthew twenty eight, nineteen, and twenty, it's right there in black and white. In this first week here in John 1, Jesus actually shows us how it's done. In the very last words, before he goes back to the fathers, he just tells us there to do it. That's what we ought to be doing. You might recognize these words, Matthew 28, 18, and 20. And Jesus came and said to them, and he's talking to his disciples here, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Make disciples. Just as that task was a priority for Jesus, so it's a priority for us. 21st century disciples of Jesus. Jesus commissioned us to do those same things. He he wants us to bring people to faith in God and then to baptize them and teach them. And if you think, I can't do that, you'd be right. But that doesn't get you off the hook because Jesus adds, behold, I am with you. Jesus actually equips and, and empowers us to do this. And he models it for us. So Jesus' priority in the, in the first week actually now becomes our priority as his followers. So let's see how our Lord does that. Let's see how he models that task of making disciples for us. From this text, I see three lessons that we can learn from our teacher when it comes to making disciples. And in addition to those lessons, I see three responses, three, we could say, action steps that flow out of these lessons. The first is that Jesus seeks followers... Intentionally. Now, this one is very obvious right in the text there. Look at those first two verses. Verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. It says that Jesus leaves the area where we found him uh, on the previous day there on the east side of the Jordan River. Verse 28, where, where John was baptizing. And then he heads due west, very purposefully, to Galilee. And somewhere on the way, it says that Jesus found Philip. Now those words don't make it sound like he just happened to find Philip. And thought, hmm, look at that. This, look at that guy. He might be a, you know, a good guy to add as one of my followers. No, Jesus takes the initiative here and he intentionally... Finds Philip. Now, it doesn't even tell us here what kind of guy Philip was. It doesn't list his qualifications. It, it actually looks like Philip was just an ordinary guy. In fact, it might be that Philip was very ordinary. Maybe we could say not the sharpest knife in the drawer. We only read about Philip a couple of more times in John, but it seems like every time we read about him, he's a little bit slow of understanding. For example, in John 14, verse 8, Jesus, he's now in the upper room, close to the end of his ministry, just before he's about to go to the cross, and he's trying to explain to his disciples that if they know Jesus, if they know the Son, that they have known the Father. Well, Philip, as part of that conversation, pipes up and says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Then we've seen him. But Jesus says, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So, just making the deduction there that, that Philip was likely an ordinary guy, There is really nothing outstanding that would make Jesus pick Philip as one of his disciples. Yet it seems, back in John 143 that Jesus is very intentional in finding Philip and saying, follow me. and we can say a few more things about that but really we could we could also say that this is a good model for us we aren't really told to look for any special kinds of prequalifications when we look to make disciples in the last section we do notice those few characteristics that i already mentioned the hunger available teachable but they don't need to have any kind of special status for them to become followers of jesus Everyone is qualified to be a disciple of Jesus. And so when we're looking to share Jesus with people, we don't need to uh, apply any kind of filter. But we do need to be intentional about the task, about the concept of making disciples. Everyone needs Jesus. There, There are no exceptions. So we could say that we could just start with the people that are around us. Start with the people that are around you, where you are. And ask God to help you and, and to give you the courage to go to those people, to start an intentional conversation about God and about faith and about Jesus. If you have found Jesus, tell others about him. That's exactly what Philip does then, doesn't he? Doesn't he? Just a little later on, after verse. Well, even look at verse 43 again. The the next day Jesus decided to go into Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Then down in verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And then Nathanael pipes up and says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip just says, come and see. So here's Philip's response. Jesus finds Philip and says, follow me. Now, we don't even read anything here about how Philip reacted to that, but we can assume that he followed. But Philip's first action step now is to go and find someone else. If you take out all of those words in between there, you could break it down to Jesus found Philip, Philip found Nathanael. And then they found Jesus. It's a great sequence. But it shows us how to respond when Jesus asks us to follow we go and ask others to then follow. We're like this with other things, aren't we? When we find something valuable, our first inclination is usually to tell someone else. Children are especially like that. They, they just can't keep it to themselves. If preschool-age children discover something new during the day or maybe get a new toy, what do they do when Daddy comes home? They say, Daddy, come and see. They just can't wait to show Dad. Dad. Or to tell dad about it. That's what it was like for Philip. Except he discovered something of, and someone of infinite value. So he just wanted to go and tell someone else. This was too good to keep to himself. He says, we have found him. Of whom Moses and the law and the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We have found the one that our scriptures were pointing to, were talking about. And then Philip identifies him there just simply as a, as a common way of identifying people in those days by his city, where he came from, and by his father. Nazareth was where, wasn't where he was, Jesus was born, obviously, but it where Jesus grew up. And, and technically, of course, Joseph wasn't his father, but legally he was. And so he identifies him as Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. At any rate, we see here the natural response when we start to follow Jesus. Let's bring someone else to Jesus. When we talk about making disciples, there are really two levels that we're talking about, if we want to put it in those terms. There's introducing people to Jesus. We sometimes call that evangelism. And then there's bringing people along in their walk with Jesus. That's Um, From Matthew 28 is 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 the teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, part of it. We need to respond in both those ways. Jesus is asking us to do both those things. Who can you introduce to Jesus? And then, are there people around you who maybe are young in the faith to whom you can say, follow me as I follow Jesus? This could be guy to guy. It could be a gal with another gal. It could be a couple to another couple. It could be a widow to another widow. And it doesn't have to be super formal. Teaching can take the form of having a coffee together or uh, of serving with someone. Going to visit someone in the hospital together. Going to visit a shut-in. It could be reading a Christian book together. But it should be intentional in the sense that somewhere along the line the conversation should get to spiritual things. You might say, how, how are you doing in, in, in trying to follow Jesus? What's working? What's particularly difficult? In what areas are you struggling? Here's what works for me. Maybe it'll work for you. Philip just said, come and see. Are there people in your circle that you could take to Jesus and help them to see Him? Either for the first time or in deeper levels than they've gone before. Well, let's look at the conversation between Jesus and Nathanael. Even before Nathanael gets to Jesus, after Philip identifies Nazareth as Jesus' hometown, he asks Philip, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Love that line. You know what this would be like in our day? It's like, and I can't imagine anyone would ever do this, it's like someone from Edmonton saying, can anything good come out of Calgary? (laughs) I think that's what this comment was all about. We find out, find out later in John 21 verse 2 that Nathanael was from the town of Cana, which was just 10 miles north of Nazareth. And so there was a rivalry between those two towns. And so Nathanael just says, can anything good come out of that place? Which then makes Philip say, come and see. But it's Nathanael's uh, um, moxie, his... his, his um, you know, say what's on your mind, straightforwardness. That makes an impact on Jesus. Look at verse 47 again. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there's no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answers, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the king of Israel. What made him say that after this short conversation? Well, Jesus makes that initial comment about Nathanael, an Israelite indeed in, in whom there is no deceit. Uh, and, and there's Nathanael. He looks at him after he talks about this Nazareth thing. What well, good can come out of there and he says, this guy just says it like it is. <laughs> but in those words, Jesus also brings to mind an Old Testament character. An Old Testament character you might remember he was the father of the 12 tribes of Israel namely Jacob Remember Jacob from way back in Genesis he was known as the deceiver for the trick that he played on his father Isaac in order to get his blessing Rather than giving the blessing to the oldest brother remember he gives it to Isaac because Isaac or he gives it to Jacob because Jacob tricked him and so he's known as a deceiver in order to get that blessing. His name actually means deceiver. And you might remember that later God changes Jacob's name to Israel. So, so here in John 1, Jesus is in effect saying that Nathanael is the true Israel. He is an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. He's a, if you put it back into the Genesis 27 concept, he is an Israelite indeed in whom there is no Jacob. Remember, Jacob's name means deceiver. In other words, Nathanael has already been transformed by Jesus. And it's that knowledge of Nathanael by Jesus that causes Nathanael to believe. In this encounter, we see that Jesus knows his followers intimately. That comment from Jesus makes Nathanael say, How do you know me? What Jesus said about Nathanael was clearly insightful. And it startled him. It struck a nerve. He had never met Jesus, yet Jesus knew something about his character. And then Jesus confirms exactly that. He says, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And by Nathaniel's next response, it's obvious that Jesus had supernatural knowledge. Nathanael knows exactly what Jesus is talking about. He knows he was under a fig tree, which was kind of a symbol in that day for a, for a private place of prayer and study. And he knows that no one would have seen him there. Yet here comes this person who says he saw him under the fig tree. That was impossible for man. But not for the all-seeing, all-knowing, everywhere-present God. And so Nathaniel immediately says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Something good did indeed come from Nazareth. And that something was the very Son of God. It's an amazing encounter, really. It's a miraculous encounter. But as far as modeling disciple-making, it tells us that God possesses an intimate knowledge of His followers. He knows them better than anyone else. He sees into their innermost being. And we can learn something here from our master teacher. We obviously are not omniscient. We don't possess perfect knowledge like Jesus did. But we ought to strive to get to know people. We ought to make every effort to move beyond just knowing people's names. We should strive to seek out a few people that we really get to know. To know their likes and dislikes. To to learn what makes them tick. To learn about their families. to, to, To find out how we can pray for them. And that means you actually have to be with those people. More than just on Sunday mornings. Some of you, many of you are already in those kinds of relationships. Maybe you've gotten together for coffee or for breakfast for years and years and years with the same group of people at McDonald's or A&W or Tim Hortons or whatever it is. You know those people very well. You know things about them that no one else knows. If you've been doing that, I would encourage you to, to try to direct your conversations to spiritual things. Maybe you're already doing that and that's great. Get to know the people in your group on that level. Some of you are doing exactly that. You've been part of the same care group for many years or the same young adult group or ladies Bible study or a men's study. If I would have thought about it ahead of time, I thought about this last yesterday, is I should have had some of you come and give a testimony, testimony about how valuable it's been to, to get to know other believers in deeper ways. But if you're not part of something like that, I encourage you to look for someone to get to know. It might just be one person. Someone in whom you can invest for kingdom purposes. And again, that can be on two levels. It can be with non-believers. Are there some non-Christians that you can get to know and with whom you can share the gospel? Or are there Christians that are maybe not too connected? Look around you. Even this, in this room there might be some that you can get to know for the purpose of helping them grow deeper in their Christian walk. Ask someone out for lunch. Get to know someone on a deeper level and invest in them. Nathaniel's response here is the kind of thing we're looking for in those who we reach out to. We want people to both confess Jesus as the Son of God, that's conversion, that's a salvation kind of confession, and we want people to confess Jesus as King. We want people to acknowledge God's uh, supreme Lordship, and we want people to submit to His authority so that they take all their cues from him and from His word. Well jesus doesn 't end the conversation with Nathaniel there. He adds one more thing. Look in verse 50. Jesus answered him, well, Nathaniel didn 't really ask a question here, but Jesus keeps on going. Jesus answered him, "Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe?' You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, "Truly, truly, I say to you, you'll see heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man." Jesus is here making a promise to Nathaniel and to all his followers. Here, when you see the "you" in those two verses, it's plural. It's not just you, singular, Nathaniel. He's talking plural here to all his disciples, and by extension, all of us. Twice he says, you will see. That's the promise. You will see greater things than these. You will see heaven opened. Jesus promises to enlighten his followers increasingly. Nathanael was stunned that God knew intimate details about him and he responds by believing. But Jesus says, if you believed because of that, just wait. You're going to see greater things. This This is just the start. It's the proverbial, you ain't seen nothing yet. And then Jesus says, "You'll see heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man." What's Jesus talking about here? What, what is this? What's, what's he telling us that we're going to see? Well, there seems to be, again, a purposeful pointing back again to Jacob, this Jacob that we talked about before, this time in Genesis 28. Now you might remember the Sunday school story about Jacob's ladder. Jacob has a dream, and in that dream he sees a ladder, and the bottom is touching the earth, and the top reaches up to heaven. But I want you to look at John 151 while I read Genesis 28:12. So looking at John 151, here's Genesis 28 verse 12. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So instead of a ladder in Genesis, the angels of God are ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In Genesis, in that dream, God is assuring Jacob of his presence. Jacob wakes up from the dream and he says, Surely the Lord is in this place. So when you get to John, Jesus is saying that we can know that God is there in the person of Jesus. But even more than that, Jesus If you're thinking of it in terms of a ladder from earth to heaven, Jesus is the one that opens the way to heaven and the way to God. Jesus is that ladder between heaven and earth. You just see the wonderful harmony of all of Scripture in that, don't you? But that's what Jesus promises Nathanael. And those are the greater things that he promises us. Through Jesus, we can see God. Our sin separates us from God, but we can gain access to God when we believe in Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this is your good news for this day. Repent and believe in the person of Jesus. The this, this same Jesus, this teacher, this rabbi, came for the purpose of going to the cross so that he could pave a way for you to get to God through his death on the cross where he atoned, where he paid the penalty for your sins. Trust in Christ. Rely on Christ alone. Believe in him. But this is a word for us who are disciples of Jesus. And for those of us who desire to follow Jesus in becoming disciple-makers. As we follow Jesus, we'll see greater things. We'll see heaven opened. And that the longer we spend with Jesus, the more we'll grow in the things of God. We'll see more of God as we sit at the feet of Jesus. Now you say, we throw that line around, sit at the feet of Jesus. You say, what does that even mean? Jesus isn't here, how can we sit at his feet? How can we spend time with Jesus? The answer to that is by spending time in the Word. Remember John 1, in the beginning, John 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God? That's talking about Jesus, we find out later in verse 14 and following. Jesus is the living Word of God. But now we have, in connection with that, not separated from that, now we have the written Word of God. And it's that Word that helps us to see the heavens opened, that helps us see God. Now, there's going to be a great future opening of the heavens, as Revelation talks about. But we can already begin to see God dimly, not clearly, but we can begin to see God increasingly as we spend time in His Word. 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. As you grow in your knowledge of God, you you gain, Ephesians 1 says, a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. As we spend time with Jesus through His Word, we are increasingly, Romans 8 says, conformed into the image of His Son. First John 3.2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we, will, what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we shall see him like he is. There will be a great future seeing, but we can see him increasingly as we spend time with Jesus. And so as you spend time with Jesus, you become more like him. You take on his characteristics. You become more and more worthy of the name Christian and you understand God with increasing depth, you can actually behold His glory, you will see heaven opened. And that should be our goal as we make disciples. We want to point people to Jesus in His Word. As people spend time with Jesus in His Word, they increase in faith. And that's what we really want to see, isn't it? All of us growing in our faith increasingly. You believe because I saw you under a fig tree. You will see greater things than these. And when you see greater things, you will believe in greater ways, in greater depth. It's an exciting prospect, isn't it? Isn't it great that God wants to use you to help other people grow in their faith? That's what Jesus would have us do. That's what Jesus would have you do. Would you make it your prayer that God would show you people, that God would show you maybe even one person that you can come alongside to encourage in the faith. Look for someone intentionally. Get to know them intimately. And then help them to understand God's word increasingly. If that kind of mindset would would weave and meander its way through our church, amazing what would happen. We We would definitely be a light to this community. We would be salt in this community and we would be worthy of the one we claim to follow namely the man Christ Jesus let's bow together in prayer our heavenly father we are as always we are so grateful for your word Or we sometimes hear that God's word is outdated it is irrelevant but Lord, we can see even here today that your word is is amazingly relevant. We have been reminded this morning of the great commission that Jesus left for all his disciples, including us. Jesus, you told us not only to make disciples, but you also modeled it for us. We thank you that you have now equipped and and enabled and empowered us to be about that task. Give us the courage now to to take up that responsibility. Help us, we pray, to be intentional in looking for people who need to know you, maybe for the first time, maybe in deeper ways. We ask that you would strengthen us to that end. And now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.